Yeah, thank you, Helen. And thank you very much for inviting me. Um, so yeah, I'm going to share my screen for the presentation. Um, I'm going to be talking about Dutch book and accuracy arguments. And I'll explain what these are. So I'm not assuming that everybody already knows what these are. Um, for anybody who does already know and wants to kind of get the headline, I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be arguing against these sorts of arguments. I think these sorts of arguments can't be used to justify any principles of rationality. Okay, so I'm going to start just by talking about the underlying framework. So we're using a framework where you can model the epistemic state of an agent using a credence function. Um, so in this example, we're modeling this agent's epistemic state. And we'll say that London stands for the proposition that London is the biggest city in Europe. And Paris stands for the proposition that Paris is the biggest city in Europe. So this agent has a probability, like a subjective probability, or we can call them credences or degrees of belief. He has um, a credence of 0.3 in, Lon in London, that London's the biggest city in Europe, and a credence of 0.4, that Paris is the biggest city in Europe, and so on. Um, so these P's just stand for probability. So his probability in the proposition London is 0.3. So his credence function will give us um, a number like this for every proposition that he can entertain. And so, so these propositions happen to be about the size of cities, but of course we can entertain propositions about all sorts of things. So for every proposition he can entertain, his credence function assigns him some number between zero and one. So if it assigns zero, then he thinks that the proposition definitely doesn't hold. And if it assigns one, then he's certain that the proposition holds. And any number, the numbers in between, give us a sense of how, how likely he thinks that proposition is, what his degree of belief is. Okay, so lots of people think that there are rationality constraints on credence functions. So they think that you can't just have any credences you like in any propositions you like. Your credence function has to have a certain sort of pattern. And if it doesn't, then that means that you're irrational. So most prominently, lots of people think that your uh, credence function has to obey these probability axioms. So here's one version of these axioms. So the f uh, we, we let E, F, and so on be the propositions just the claims that the agent has credences in. And then these are the three axioms. So the first one is that for any proposition E, the agent's credence in E has to be greater than or equal to zero. So you can't have a negative credence in any proposition. And the next axiom says that if E is a tautology, then you have to have a credence of one in it. So you have to be certain of all tautologies. And this last one says that if E and F are incompatible propositions, like they're disjoint, they can't be true together, then your credence in the disjunction E or F has to equal your credence in E plus your credence in F. So these are the probability axioms and people think that your credence function has to obey these 
for you to count as rational. So at the moment, these probability axioms are quite vague. I haven't told you what a tautology is or what it is for two claims to be incompatible. And we're going to come back to this vagueness later, um, but I'll just give you a sense of the sorts of things that theorists using this framework say. So if we think about a set of states, so states can be thought of as ways that the world could be, like possible worlds. So if you take a set of states, um, then we can say that a proposition, actually maybe I'll, sorry, my, uh, my view of you all is over it. So maybe you can see it better if I do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so here's our set of states. And we think of a proposition as corresponding to some set of those states. Um, so maybe we think of it as the set of states at which that proposition is true. And then a tautology is going to be the set of all states. So tautology is a claim that's true at every state. And then to say that two claims are incompatible is just to say there's, they've got no states in common. So there's no states at which both E and F are true. That means that they're incompatible. Okay, so to go back to where we were, so we've got this claim that there are rationality constraints on credence functions, and in particular, um, that a rational agent's credence function should obey the probability axioms. Hang on, I'm just going to shut my door. Sorry, I could just hear my children playing Minecraft. It's very distracting. <laughs> That's better. Okay, so this agent, for example, he has a credence of 0.6 in the proposition London or not London, um, which is a tautology. So the probability axioms say he should have a credence of 1 in this claim, but instead he's got a lower credence of 0.6. So people think that shows this agent is irrational. Okay, so the big question here is, how do we justify this claim? How do we justify this claim that um, there are these rationality constraints on credence functions, and in particular this one about the probability axioms? And I'm going to look at two types of arguments. Well, I'm mostly focusing on the Dutch book argument, but everything I say, I think, applies to the accuracy argument as well. So these are two attempts to justify um, these claims. And I, I basically think that neither of them work. But I'm going to start by illustrating how the Dutch book argument is supposed to work. So let's take uh, this bookie, and he's going to offer our agent a bet. And here's the bet he's going to offer. He says, I'll give you 60 pence, and you have to give me one pound back if the proposition London or not London is true. Um, now the agent is going to think that this bet is a fair bet. And we can, we can calculate why he's going to think that by thinking about the expected utility of the bet. So I, I'll calculate it quickly here in case you're interested, but you don't really have to understand the details of this to get that it's going to be a fair bet for the agent. So the agent has a credence of 0.6 that London or not London is true. 
So he's going to think there's a 0.6 chance um, that he's going to end up getting 60 pence but losing a pound. So there's a 0.6 chance he'll end up with minus 0.4. And we add on to that the 0.4 chance that London or not London is false from his perspective, um, in which case he'll get 60 pence. And this is the expected utility that we end up with. It works out at zero. So from the agent's perspective, thinking that there's a 0.6 chance of London or not London, then the bet seems fair. It's got no reason to either accept or reject it. Okay, so the bet seems fair to the agent, and yet the bet is guaranteed to result in a loss for the agent. Now, this expression of being guaranteed to result in a loss, I think is a kind of slippery expression, and I'm going to be coming back to this. But for the moment, let's just get an intuitive sense of what's meant by it. So the rough idea is that whatever happens, whether London's the biggest city in Europe or whether London isn't, the proposition London or not London. And so the agent is definitely going to have to give that pound back. So he's guaranteed to lose 40 pence. So the bet's guaranteed to result in a loss for the agent. Um, and therefore, just by definition, we say that the agent is Dutch bookable. So we say the agent's Dutch bookable if there's a bet or a set of bets that the agent would accept as fair and that is guaranteed to result in a loss. Okay, from here we go on to make a third assumption, which is that a Dutch bookable agent is an irrational agent. And you can see a sort of intuitive reason to accept that. I mean, if you accept a bet that's guaranteed to result in a loss for you, that seems like a kind of stupid thing to do, right? So it's an irrational thing to do, so that makes you irrational. And so then we can conclude that this particular agent is an irrational agent. Okay, so that's a Dutch book argument, but just for this particular agent. So let's broaden it out to think about all agents, all possible agents. So there's arguments to show that all of the possible agents whose credence function violates the probability axioms are agents who are Dutch bookable. So we can all, whenever you find an agent, any possible agent whose credence function violates the probability axioms, you will be able to construct um, a set of bets that the agent will accept as fair and that is guaranteed to result in a loss for the agent. So all the agents whose credence function violate the probability axioms can be shown to be Dutch bookable and therefore irrational. So this gives you an argument to the claim that violating the probability axioms makes you irrational, which is what we wanted. So here's the sort of general form of the argument. Um, so first of all, we say that agents with credence functions that have certain features, F, like, for example, violating the probability axioms, are Dutch bookable. And this just means that um, there's some set of bets that the agent will accept as fair and that's guaranteed to result in a loss. Then we say Dutch bookable agents are irrational. That's our second claim. And so we infer agents with credence functions that have feature F 
like violating the probability axioms are irrational. And so we justify our rationality constraint that agents, credence functions have to obey the probability axioms. Now, lots of um, theorists have a problem with this move. So moving from what's above the line to what's below it. So one of the problems that people have raised is that um, saying that an agent is Dutch bookable is to say that they have a kind of practical problem. So they're guaranteed to lose money. As a sort of practical problem, how could we move from that to a claim about their epistemic state, like that they're epistemically irrational? So, I mean, I have a problem with this argument too, but my problem is, is a bit different. So my problem is about the slipperiness of, set of this expression, guaranteed to result in a loss. So I think there's lots of different ways of interpreting it, which gives us lots of different interpretations of Dutch bookable. And so we end up with lots of different sets of agents um, who are Dutch bookable in different senses. And I don't see how we can move from that to a claim that some particular group of agents is irrational. Okay, I'm going to go through that all a lot more slowly, um, but before I do, I just want to say something about accuracy arguments, because I think all that I say about Dutch book arguments also applies to accuracy arguments. So the accuracy argument, I won't go through it in detail, um, I'm just pointing out it has the same sort of shape. So with the accuracy argument, we say that agents with credence functions that have certain features f are accuracy dominated, which just means that there's another credence function which is guaranteed to be more accurate than it. Um, and then we infer that accuracy dominated agents are irrational and get the same results. Um, but here it's the expression guaranteed to be more accurate, which I think is slippery in the same way guaranteed to result in a loss is slippery. And so accuracy dominated ends up being something you can interpret in lots of ways. So I think all the arguments I make about Dutch book arguments can also be applied to accuracy arguments. I won't really talk about accuracy arguments anymore, but maybe just bear in mind that uh, the points do transfer to that as well. Okay, so I've said that there's lots of, lots of ways of interpreting this idea of um, guaranteed to result in a loss. So let's have a look at some of the ways of interpreting it. So I'm gonna start with what I think is the most obvious interpretation. I'm calling it the base interpretation and then we'll see how it can be varied. So on the base interpretation, we focus on the set of all possible worlds. And we say that um, a bet is guaranteed to make a loss if it makes a loss when assessed against what's true at each possible world. So for example, this bet that our bookie offered, um, this will make a loss at every possible world because at every possible world, London or not London, is gonna be true. And so the agent will make a loss on this bet at every possible world and in that sense is guaranteed to make a loss. Now, even within this base interpretation, there's lots of different uh, varieties because there's lots of different sorts of possible worlds. So there's metaphysically possible worlds and on a standard account, at every metaphysically possible world, water is H2O and um, 
George Orwell is Eric Blair and so on, all the metaphysically necessary things hold. And so um, on this interpretation, we could Dutch book agents who just weren't quite sure that water was H2O, right? Because um, we could offer them a bet that they'd accept as fair that was guaranteed to result in a loss for them over whether water was H2O. Um, if we switch instead to epistemically possible worlds, then we'll get a different set of agents coming out as Dutch bookable. Um, exactly which agents depends on what we mean by epistemically possible worlds, right? So one way of understanding epistemically possible worlds is the worlds that are compatible with what you know, in which case the set of epistemically possible worlds will need to change depending on the person and the time. Um, if that was our interpretation, then we'd be able to Dutch book agents who weren't certain of things that they know. So if I know something, some claim P, but my credence in it is less than one, then I can be offered a bet that I'm guaranteed to make a loss on. Because if I know P, it would be true in all epistemically possible worlds in that sense. Um, but there's other ways of understanding epi epistemically possible worlds as well. Maybe we could understand them as worlds uh, compatible with everything that can be known a priori or something like this. Um, so we'll get different agents coming out as Dutch bookable, depending how we interpret this. And then some people think there are impossible worlds where contradictions can hold. And then you'll get yet another set of agents coming out as Dutch bookable. So yeah, so with the probability axioms, the claim that um, all agents who violate the probability axioms are Dutch bookable, that does actually still hold, provided that you always give a sort of matching understanding of the probability axioms. So even your Dutch bookability account, you're thinking about metaphysically possible worlds, then you need to understand the probability axioms as also working with metaphysically possible worlds. So a tautology would have to include things like water is H2O. And similarly, if you're working with epistemically possible worlds for your Dutch bookability, to get the right result, you need to here work with epistemically possible worlds as well and so on. Okay, so which agents are going to come out as Dutch bookable? So if we go for the base interpretation that we've looked at, um, if we understand metaphysically possible, uh, possible worlds as metaphysically possible worlds, then we'll get one load of agents that are Dutch bookable. And this will include agents who have a credence of less than one that water is H2O and a credence of less than one that George Orwell is Eric Blair and so on. Um, if instead you think about possible worlds as epistemically possible worlds, you'll get a different set of agents. Exactly which agents will depend on how we understand epistemically possible worlds. Um, but I should add that I don't think it's just going to be a subset of the metaphysically possible, of the agents who are Dutch bookable under the metaphysically possible worlds interpretation. I think that we'll catch some different agents and lose some agents as well. And if we understand possible worlds as impossible worlds, obviously we'll catch some other set again.
So the base interpretation splinters into these different interpretations, each of which gives us um, a different set of Dutch bookable agents. Okay, so that's one sort of interpretation, the base interpretation. Um, but there are some ways of varying it. So here's a way we could vary it. We could say that instead of thinking about all possible worlds, um, you only need to consider some of them. So you just have to work with a restricted set. So now for a bet to be guaranteed to result in a loss, it just has to result in a loss at some restricted set of possible worlds. You don't have to have it result in a loss at all of them. And so obviously now um, it's going to be easier to show that a set of bets is guaranteed to result in a loss because it only needs to result in a loss at a smaller set of worlds. So you're going to catch more agents. Um, now you might wonder why anybody would restrict the set of possible worlds in this way, but there's at least one account in the literature that does. So on this account, um, we restrict the set of possible worlds to the ones where the agent has his or her actual credence function. So there's going to be some possible worlds, obviously, where the agent has other credence functions. Uh, it's not necessary that you have the credence function that you actually have. But we, we ignore those to count as guarantee uh, for a bet to be guaranteed to result in a loss. It doesn't have to result in a loss at these worlds, but only at the worlds where you have your own actual credence function. And the reason why uh, people have given this interpretation is I think because of the way that the Dutch book argument is kind of imagined. So what we imagine is we imagine uh, the bookie being somebody who knows what your credence function is, but doesn't know anything else. So they don't know anything about the world, they just know what your credence function is. And if, from just knowing that, they can design a set of bets that they know will lose you money, um, then we say that you've been Dutch booked. So for the bookie to be able to do that, they have to design a set of bets that will lose you money in all of the possible worlds that are compatible with what they know. But they know your credence function. So it's just all of the possible worlds in which you do have your actual credence function. So one of the weird things about this view is that, oh, first of all, yeah, so I'm just going to say who, um, who holds this view. So the view, um, this interpretation on which we restrict the set of possible worlds, it's explicitly discussed by Peter Milne, and then Rachel Briggs explicitly directs, um, rejects it. But I think there's quite a lot of people who uh, assume it implicitly. So there are some arguments, some Dutch book arguments that only go through if you assume this sort of interpretation with the worlds restricted in this way. But it gives some really weird results. So if you take an agent who's just not sure what his or her own credence function is, so they're not quite sure about their own epistemic state, those agents are Dutch bookable. So if we take um, an agent who has a credence of 0.5 in some claim P, but they're not certain that that's the case. So they've got a credence of 0.9 that their credence in P is 0.5. Well, they are Dutch bookable because the bookie can offer them this bet, right? He says, I'll give you 90 pence 
and you can give me back a pound if and only if your credence in P is 0.5. And the agent will accept this as fair because his credence, um, that his own credence in P is 0.5 is 0.9, but it's guaranteed to result in a loss in the relevant sense. It will result in a loss in every world where the agent has his actual credence function. Because at every one of the relevant worlds, his credence in P is 0.5, so we'll have to give that pound back. So if we look at the agents who are going to get caught now, so this is the agents that got caught by the base interpretation, but after we restrict the set of uh, worlds to the ones where the agent has his actual credence function, we can catch some more agents. These are basically the agents who um, lack some self-awareness. They're not perfectly sure what their own epistemic state is. Okay, so now I'm going to turn to another interpretation, which is to vary the nature of the states. So, so far we've been assuming that the states are possible worlds, and we've looked at some different sorts of possible worlds, but I think also maybe they could not be possible worlds at all. Um, so my idea was to um, suggest that these what these states, instead of being worlds, they're structures, where a structure assigns meaning to all the non-logical parts of a language. Um, so then a given sentence has a truth value at each structure. It can have different truth values at different structures, but that's not because of any change in how things actually are. These aren't like possible worlds. We're always assessing truth against how things actually are. It's just because what the sentence means is varying from state to state, from structure to structure. So this is an idea that sort of comes from a certain sort of classical logic. So if we want to pursue this idea, then we'd want to have the bets not be over propositions, but be over sentences. Um, so here the bookie can be saying, I'll give you 60 pounds and you can give me a pound back if and only if the sentence London or not London. And then whether or not this bet results in a loss, uh, we assess it at each structure. So at some structures, some bets might result in a loss because of what the sentence means. And um, at other structures, it won't. But at this particular sentence, London or not London, this is going to be um, true at every possible, at every structure, right? Because no matter what London means, the sentence is guaranteed to be true just because of its logical form. So however much you vary the non-logical parts of the language, the logical parts will mean that this sentence stays true. So it's true at every structure. Um, so this bet is guaranteed to lose the agent money at every structure. And that's another sense in which we can say it's guaranteed to lose the agent money. Okay, so if we switch to this interpretation, then we're going to catch another different set of agents again. Um, so this is the set of agents who are guaranteed to make a loss in the sense that they'll make a loss with their bet assessed at every structure rather than at every possible world. Okay, and then I'm going to give one final way that we could, uh, that we could vary the 
interpretation. Um, and this is to vary how we assess the bets at the world. So let's go back to thinking of these as possible worlds, maybe even metaphysically possible worlds. And so far, we've been assuming that we assess the bets against what is true at each possible world. Um, but obviously, there are other ways that we could, in principle, assess the bets. So here's one way that it's not already in the literature, but I think it naturally arises from Chalmers' two-dimensionalism. And that's to say that we should assess the bets not against what's true at each world, but against what is verified at each world. So um, to explain where this point comes from, on Chalmers' account, um, each assertion has two intentions. It has a secondary intention, which we're familiar with. It's the set of possible worlds, metaphysically possible worlds, where the assertion is true. But it also has a primary intention, which is, let's say, it's the set of centered possible worlds where the assertion is verified. And for an assertion to be verified at a um, possible world is like this. So if you get a complete description of that possible world in neutral vocabulary, um, under the hypothesis that you are actually in the world so described, um, what would your credence in the assertion be? And if your credence in the assertion would be one, then that world verifies the assertion. So let me give you an example. Let's take a possible world. Obviously, this isn't the actual world, a different possible world, where the stuff that comes out of the taps and is found in the lakes and that everybody drinks is got the chemical formula XYZ. So if I describe that world to you, then under the hypothesis that that's how this world actually is, then your credence that water is XYZ is, let's say, one. So that world verifies the assertion that water is XYZ. So the assertion that water is XYZ is verified at that world, but it's not true there because water is XYZ is true at no possible worlds, right? As it actually happens, water is H2O. That's a necessary truth. So at every possible world, it's true that water is H2O. So we've just got this world where um, that water is XYZ is verified, but not true. So verification and truth are different. So one idea here is that instead of assessing each bet against what's true at each possible world, we could assess the bets against what's verified at each possible world. And then for a bet to be guaranteed to result in a loss would be for it to result in a loss at each possible world when assessed against what's verified there. Um, and that will catch us a different group of agents again. So agents who um, are less than certain that water is H2O, they got caught by the base interpretation. They came out as Dutch bookable then. But on this interpretation, where we're assessing bets against what's verified, they don't get caught. You're not automatically Dutch bookable if your credence that water is, H is XYZ is greater than zero. Okay, so we've looked at loads of different ways of interpreting 
this idea of guaranteed to make a loss. And that's given us lots of different interpretations of this idea of Dutch bookability. So, and each interpretation has caught a different collection of agents as Dutch bookable. So we started with our base interpretation, um, understanding possible worlds as metaphysically possible, as metaphysically possible worlds. Uh, we tried other readings of possible worlds, like epistemically possible worlds and impossible worlds. Each is Dutch bookable. Um, we tried restricting the set of states, the set of possible worlds, which then we got a, a bigger group that caught more agents. Um, we tried varying the states, so understanding them as structures instead of worlds, and that will catch a different group of agents. And we tried assessing bets in a different way, so against what's verified rather than what's true. And each of these has given us a different set of Dutch bookable agents. And these are just some of the interpretations that are sort of out there in the literature or easily easy to sort of see from what is out there. But presumably there's loads of other ways we could interpret the Dutch book argument. Um, we could vary our interpretation along any of the dimensions in various ways and look at various combinations. The number of theoretically possible ways of interpreting the Dutch book argument is really big. And we'd get some weird and wonderful collections of agents coming out as Dutch bookable under different theoretically possible interpretations. So with all of that in mind, it's hard to see how this argument is supposed to work, right? So the idea was supposed to be that we'd show that a particular group of agents who all had feature F, those agents would be shown to be Dutch bookable, and then we'd infer that those agents were irrational. But when we looked at what Dutch bookable means, from what guaranteed to make a loss means, we found that there were lots of different ways of interpreting it, and under the different interpretations, different agents came out, different groups of agents came out as Dutch bookable. So we've ended up not with one group of Dutch bookable agents, but lots of different groups. So how are we supposed to use this to infer that some particular group of agents is irrational? Okay, so I think there's three ways broadly that we could respond. So one is that we can do some kind of aggregation on these groups. We could get some kind of aggregated collection of agents and say that that's the group that's irrational. Another option is that we could be permissive and we could say that all of the Dutch book arguments under all of the different interpretations work. So we get lots of different sets of agents being irrational. Or we could select from among the interpretations. We could choose the correct interpretation. Okay, I'm going to go through each of these three responses in turn. So first of all, aggregation. So we've got all these different groups, and I'm just going to look at two ways we could aggregate them. There's obviously others, but I'm just going to look at the two obvious ones, which is to take the union or take the intersection. So if we start by thinking about the union, um, so the idea would be that we could say that... Um, yeah, any agents in the union are irrational. Um, so what would be wrong with doing that? So I think one of the problems is that I think that would end up being 
all of the agents. So all of the possible agents, in fact. And that's because I think that there's all these theoretically possible ways that you could interpret the Dutch book argument. And between them, they're going to catch all of the agents. So we'd end up saying that all possible agents are irrational. Whatever credence you could possibly have, you will come out as irrational. And that's just going to make the idea of irrationality trivial. Right? It's completely impossible for any possible agent not to be irrational. Um, but here you might want to say, well, I don't want to aggregate all the theoretically possible ways of interpreting Dutch bookability. I want to focus just on the ones that have some kind of rationale, the ones that have appeared in the literature, the ones that are well motivated. But I sort of think that's an arbitrary uh, dividing line. I mean, whether a particular um, interpretations appeared in the literature obviously depends on all sorts of extraneous um, factors and whether an interpretation has a rationale uh, can be depend on the context really. I think what we really want to say here is that we want to select the interpretations which are the right ones and that's a form of selection so I'm going to come back and talk about selecting from among the interpretations later. But the union as a whole isn't going to work. We could try instead the intersection. Um, but here we've just, I think we've just got a parallel problem. I think that the intersection is going to end up being empty. If you allowed all theoretically possible interpretations of Dutch bookability, then you'll find that there is some, uh, you can have two interpretations with no overlap in the agents they class as Dutch bookable. So that's going to end up being empty. So again, um, irrationality will then be trivial. No agents at all, no possible agents are irrational. Um, then no matter what credence function you have, you're not going to be classed as irrational. And again, you might want to say, I don't want the intersection of all theoretically possible interpretations. I want just the good ones. But that's again a form of selection, which we'll come back to. Okay, so we've tried aggregation. Now we're going to try the idea of being permissive and saying that we're just going to let the Dutch book argument run. So we're going to infer from Dutch bookability to irrationality under every interpretation of Dutch bookability. So, I mean, if we do that, then um, on one sort of way of doing that, we're just going to get the union coming out as irrational again. Um, because if we accept the conclusion of every Dutch book argument, then we'll just end up that all of the agents, all possible agents are irrational. But there is another way we could do it, which is to say that under each interpretation of Dutch bookability, the argument goes through, but each time we just get a special tailored uh, interpretation of irrationality that matches our interpretation of Dutch bookability. So if you um, take the agents who are Dutch bookability under our base interpretation, um, taking possible worlds as metaphysically possible worlds, then all of those agents who come out as Dutch bookable, they are irrational, but just in one special sense of irrationality. The sort of sense of irrationality where an agent who is just less than certain that water is H2O is irrational special new sense of irrationality and if you take a different interpretation of Dutch bookability like the one where we restrict the states 
then we'll, we'll get another group of agents classed as irrational, but again, irrational in a special new sense where agents who aren't certain of their own credence function come out as irrational. So we'll just sort of proliferate different senses of irrationality to go with each sense of Dutch bookability. Um, now, maybe that's okay, but I think that using the word irrational then uh, kind of drains the term of its meaning. So we're going to get all agents classified as irrational in some sense, and it's no longer going to be any kind of criticism to say that an agent is irrational in any sense, because all possible agents are irrational in some sense. So I think here it would be clearer and better just to say different interpretations of Dutch bookability carve out different categories of agents. Some of those categories might be of interest, but there's no automatic move from those categories to claims about irrationality. Okay, so now we come to the final option, um, which is to select from among our interpretations. And this might seem like the obvious thing to do. So what we need to do surely is to select the correct interpretation of Dutch bookability. And then we can say the Dutch book argument goes through just for this interpretation. So how are we going to select the right interpretation? So one way would be to do it formally. Like you could say, for example, the right interpretation is the one that selects that that classes as Dutch bookable the smallest number of agents. Because then, you know, our irrationality claim is going to be as weak as possible, so probably uh, more likely to be true. Um, but I have a problem with this idea of just choosing whichever interpretation gives us the smallest group of agents as Dutch bookable. So, I mean, one problem is that uh, it might be that then that, that that class is no agents is irrational. It might be that on some interpretations, no possible agents come out as um, Dutch bookable. Um, Another problem is that you might, even if, even if the, the interpretation that gave us the smallest group of Dutch bookable agents was greater than one, there might be more than one interpretation, which gives us the same um, sized group of Dutch bookable agents. So there's no, no reason to expect there's going to be a uniquely smallest set of Dutch bookable agents. I'm also just, I don't really see this as a well-motivated move. I don't think that just because an interpretation gives us the smallest set of Dutch bookable agents, um, it's automatically the right interpretation. Okay, so it looks like we can't select the right interpretation on purely formal grounds. So how are we going to select it? And here I think what is very tempting to do is to just look at these collections of agents, like to look at the different sets and see if it's plausible to claim that any of these particular sets match up to our idea of which agents are irrational. So, you know, thinking in this way, we might think, well, we definitely don't want, um, yeah, we definitely don't want to we definitely don't want the interpretation where we court all of those agents who weren't sure what their own credences are. Right? Because we don't think agents who are not certain about their own credences are thereby irrational. So we can eliminate that interpretation, right? Because it's giving us the wrong group of agents. And then we also, we don't want that interpretation where 
the agents who weren't sure that water's H2O got classed as irrational. Um, because intuitively, agents who aren't sure that water's H2O aren't thereby irrational. So we can eliminate that way of interpreting Dutch bookability. Maybe we should be focusing in on this idea of epistemically possible worlds seems to be giving us maybe one of the best, better sets of irrational agents. And then when we're talking about what epistemically possible worlds actually are, for our purposes here, we'll be honing that idea to try to get the right group of agents to come out as Dutch bookable. Um, so my problem here is just that I think uh, you, can't, you can't choose which interpretation based on which agents you think are, you already want to come out as irrational. So if you already know which agents you want to come out as irrational, then you can choose exactly the right interpretation of Dutch bookability to give you the argument that those agents are irrational. But it's not actually going to justify your claim. It's not an argument for your claim. So I think it's hard to see this because we all already have sort of, there's, there's already quite a lot of agreement or people have already honed their idea of what an irrational agent is on this sort of probability model. But if you imagine somebody who disagrees, somebody who doesn't agree with you about which agents should be classed as irrational, and you try to convince them using this Dutch book argument, well, then they're going to want to know how you chose your interpretation of Dutch bookability. There were lots of available interpretations. Why did you choose this one? And the answer that you'd have to give is, I chose this interpretation because it gave me the right set of agents, the agents that are irrational. And that's not going to convince the person um, that you're trying to convince, right? Unless you already think that group of agents are irrational. You're not going to agree that that's a good reason to choose that interpretation. So in order to justify uh, the claim that this particular group of agents is irrational, um, you'd need to justify your choice of interpretation. And you can't do that by pointing to the claim that it's exactly those agents who are irrational. Okay, so I'm going to finish there. Uh, my conclusion is just that I don't think that Dutch book arguments or indeed um, accuracy arguments can be used to justify rationality constraints on credence functions.